0: The last time I focused on James was March 29th. Our series in James was temporarily interrupted by Holy Week, so we could focus on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. But we also have been interrupted by COVID-19, a pandemic that has changed what we call normal. I've been thinking about the March 29th James message for weeks now. In order to set up this week's message, I'd like to read from James chapter 4. So if you'd like to turn your Bibles uh, or flat screens to James chapter 4 as I begin reading verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. James is talking about repentance, about humbling yourselves and coming close to God, or staying in fellowship with God. During the March 29th sermon, I also read a direct message from God that King Solomon had just received, after he dedicated the temple. Now let me, again, paint a picture for you here. Times were really good in Israel at this time. The atmosphere was festive, and God's people were filled with joy. But in the midst of this celebration, God gave Solomon some sobering words. We find them in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 13. And again, this is God talking. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I have been thinking much about repentance as the pandemic marches on. I do want to return to James, and we will next week, but for today, we're going to look hard at what the scriptures say about repentance. But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, you are a God of compassion and mercy. You are slow to get angry, and you are filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your people all over the world are gathering to worship you today. We recognize your power and your authority. We are grateful for your care and your provision. We thank you for your blessings. And we thank you for the Crosspoint community. Our world continues to deal with COVID-19. We look to you, Lord, for perspective and ask you to increase our faith in you. We know we can trust you as our good shepherd. You have promised to work out all things, even COVID-19, for the good of those who walk with you, those who love you. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. You also told us not to worry, but to pray. So we pray. We pray, first of all, Father, for our leaders, We ask that you would give them wisdom and the ability to make great choices. We pray for those working with vaccines so that there might be, well, advancement in medicine that would take care of this pandemic. And we pray for those caregivers, those first responders, those doctors and nurses. We pray, Lord, that you would protect them They're tired, they're weary. Give them your grace. We pray for those who are suffering, who have the virus, and for those who, well, live with those with the virus. We pray, Father, that you would heal our land. But more than that, we pray that your kingdom would come. May the despair and the confusion draw people to your loving arms. May people see their arrogance and repent of their sin. Father, we pray for your people, that we would be light in a dark world, that we would hear your voice and respond quickly to comfort and to pray for those who are around us. We don't understand your ways. We know your ways are higher than ours. We don't understand your timing. But we are trusting you, Lord. We ask you today, Father, that you would teach us, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us understand how sin affects not only us, and not only those around us, but is disgusting to you. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. You know, our text for today will be Psalm 51. But before we read it, I'd like to um, we'll paint a picture for you or help you understand the context of this psalm. King David penned Psalm 51 during a most reflective time in his life. He was Jesse's youngest son who grew up as a shepherd. He was called a man after God's own heart, or literally, God's man. He was a musician, a songwriter, and a warrior who became the king of Israel. The nation of Israel thrived when King David was at the helm. But in the midst of his great success, we find in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and I encourage you to go back and read those. But in those chapters, we find that the king got lazy. Yeah. He was human, and he failed both spiritually and morally. Many of you know the tragic tale of David and Bathsheba. But let me just hit some of the highlights. David was a king. He was a powerful king, and nobody really could resist his wishes or his ways. That's how kings are. One day, the scripture tells us that he was walking on the rooftop of his palace and he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath. He inquired about her. He invited her to the palace and quickly went downhill from there. David slept with Bathsheba. She went back home that night and David thought everything was just. Okay, that was until he received the note, a note from Bathsheba with these words on it, I'm pregnant. Whoa, that changed everything for David. He knew he had to cover up the adultery and tried to do that, but when that didn't work, well, he resorted to murder. And he murdered Uriah. Bathsheba's husband. Once that happened, he married Bathsheba and and thought life would just go on just fine. He tried to ignore God's promptings. But as we're going to find out in Psalm 51, it didn't work well. He ignored God's promptings for at least nine months and probably well over a year. And that is when the prophet Nathan came along. David, well, welcomed Nathan, but Nathan had a story for him. And and the story went something like this There are two men, a rich man and a poor man. (laughs) The rich man had all kinds of livestock, all kinds of sheep. And there's a poor man, he only had one lamb. And he loved this lamb dearly. Well, there's a guest that came to the rich man's home. And the rich man wanted to serve a leg of lamb. Instead of going to his own flock, he went to the poor man, took his only sheep, slaughtered it, and fed it to his guest. (laughs) David was outraged at this story. He said, that man must pay. You don't do this. Who would do this? And all of a sudden, the room got quiet as Nathan looked right at David and said, you are that man. There's not a lot of scriptures that tell what exactly happened right after that moment. But the best we can figure out in 1 Samuel is that David repented immediately. He saw what happened. Nathan's words sent a chill up the king's spine. But more than that, everything came really clear to David and how heinous his sin was against the Almighty God. David finally humbled himself And repented of his sin. We can learn so much from David. Let's read some of Psalm 51. And not only understand a little bit of what repentance looks like. But even more of what sin looks like. We're going to read through Psalm 51. But I'm going to start at verse 4. Because I think it's important to understand where David's heart was toward God. Psalm 51, verse 4. David writes, Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. Sin is horrific, has terrible consequences, and ultimately is an offense against the Almighty God, a holy God. We probably should talk about our attitude towards sin right from the very beginning. Because most of us put sins in categories and usually only confess the biggies. Or at least think about confessing the biggies, whatever they are. The scripture tells us that that is a poor view, a poor understanding of offending God or sin. Humility always precedes confession and demands the de, uh, total submission to God's authority. This simply means we are to listen to every command because every admonition is right. And given for the good of individuals and communities, we are to treat every sin as heinous. Because every sin results in death, in pain, and hurt, and separation, in tears, and wounds. We must realize that every act of rebellion is an act against, and towards God first. And that's where repentance needs to happen. Repentance begins with owning our sin to God. David knows that he has sinned against the Almighty first. He knows all sins have consequences and that some are irreversible and permanent. The sin against Uriah certainly was. As as Uriah's life was snuffed out, David couldn't do anything about that. David hurt himself. He hurt others. But ultimately, he offended God. And that's where we need to begin as we confess our sin. Let's read verses 1 through 3 and verses 5 through 9. This is David writing, pouring out his heart. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. For I was born a sinner, yes. From the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. David knew God was loving and compassionate. So because of God's love and compassion, David asked God for mercy. He knew The judgment was pending. He asked God for something he didn't deserve. You know, it's interesting. In Psalm 89, the psalmist there also talks about sin and the consequences of sin, but also reminds us how loving God is. Let me read that. Psalm 89, verse 30. This is God talking. But if his descendants forsake my instructions and fail to obey my regulations, if they do not obey my decrees and fail to keep my commandments, then I will punish their sin with a rod and their disobedience with beating. But I will never stop loving him. But I will never stop loving him nor failed to keep my promise to him. David asked God to purify him. David knows what clean feels like, and he knows for months he has not felt clean. David also knows that only God can make him clean. Only God can clear his conscience. Only God can give him freedom. He asked God to remove his guilt, something which haunts David day and night. It's interesting. He didn't confess his sin for, well, at least a year. Day after day after day, God convicted him. But it wasn't until, well, a man of God came to him, told him a story, when it finally, He asked God not to look, to quit looking at his sin. The stain. He can't take God's disapproval. He asked God to remove the stain. We all know what stains do. They draw attention. You have a stain on a tablecloth. It might be a beautiful tablecloth, but you only see that stain. Or on a shirt or on a pair of pants. David says, I can't live anymore with you looking at this stain, Father. Remove it. He asked him, he says, would you restore my joy? David is broken and mournful. And he desires to rejoice once again. He knows what walking with God is. He understands how beautiful a relationship with God is. And what joy there is when you walk with the Lord as a friend, not be repelled by the Lord because you're his enemy. He wants to worship again, ultimately. He wants to enjoy God's fellowship. In 2 Samuel uh, chapter 13, verse 20, we have a little picture of this because David, once he understands his forgiveness the first thing he wants to do is go into the temple and worship again. It's been over a year since he's been able to experience joy in God's fellowship. Now what's so wonderful is that, well, David lived before the cross. Those of us who are living after the cross, this confession is amazing, it's beautiful. Jesus Christ died on the cross to be our sacrifice, to pay our debt for sin and to restore our relationship to God. What's so cool about that is that all of our sin has been paid for. And so John writes in 1 John 1, nine: If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to make us clean and to blot out all the stains. You see, all those who are part of God's family, they're walking with God. They have a relationship with God. But when they sin, they break that relationship. They break fellowship with the Almighty God. They don't experience the joy of the journey. Oh, John gives us a great promise. If we confess, we can be clean. We can have our stain removed. Let's read some more. Verses 10 through 12 and verses 14 to 15. David writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Forgive me for shedding blood. O God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. David continually makes some bold requests, probably because he doesn't want to go back to that dark place. He has lived in this um, slop for over a year. So he says, "Oh God, create a new heart in me. Replace my dark heart with a new one. I was loyal to you. I did fear you. So renew my loyalty. Oh, God, I I lived before walking with you. I, I want that again. And then David cries out, Oh, God, God, don't banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of salvation to me. I remember all this. Make me willing to obey. Don't let me listen to the enemy's lies and go off this path. I want to listen to you. I know where life is found. Oh, God. David knew what God's presence was and meant. He wanted that again. He was deceived for a while, but but he knew better and wanted it. He says something that seems a little odd to us. He said, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. We need to remember that, that before the cross or in the Old Testament days, that God's Holy Spirit indwelled people usually just for a short time and usually just for a mission after the cross. Once we become one of God's kids, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit lives in us. Now, we may grieve the Spirit, and we may um, not allow the Spirit to work in our lives. That happens every time we sin. David, though, knew this. He said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I love." Your Holy Spirit, the way he comforts me and teaches me, the way that he guides me and directs me. The same way today is that that although the Holy Spirit doesn't leave believers, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't always control believers. When we have sin in our life, we can't experience the fruit of the Spirit. We can't experience the joy of that relationship. The Holy Spirit can't direct us and comfort us and encourage us. Oh, David is begging God. God, I want that Spirit again. I want to be Spirit-led. I want to experience God living in me again. Restore the joy. You hear this often in this psalm. I haven't had joy. Please restore the joy of my salvation. Then he says, O oh God, the God who saves, forgive me for shedding blood so I can sing joyfully of your forgiveness. My lips can be free to praise you. I can't do that right now. I have not been forgiven. Father, would you forgive me? The scriptures at this point doesn't say anything about going to Bathsheba and asking for forgiveness there. But I am pretty sure that happened. He goes to God first. But I think the next step would be certainly to the one that he violated and offended. Let's go on. Psalm 51 verses 16 through 19. David writes says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken heart. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, then you will be pleased with the sacrifices and sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. David understood the sacrificial system. He wasn't just offering a sacrifice. It wasn't about just going through the motions here. It wasn't just about the sacrifice. He could go through the motions, perform his duty, but the sacrifice would be rejected. He knew that. A sacrifice like that would not relieve his guilt and would not give him forgiveness. David knew that offering a sacrifice, a sin offering, a burnt offering, begins with a broken and a repentive heart. A broken heart is a humble heart. It's a heart emptied of self-will and arrogance. A repentive heart is a soft heart, which is sensitive to personal rebellion. It's one that confesses sin quickly, both to God and to man. It's interesting that David knows his sin has affected Zion, or Jerusalem, literally, the kingdom. Now, we don't have any specifics here, but David's sin did affect the nation somehow. He is asking God to restore favor to the kingdom. For one year or so, the kingdom has been led by a man who was rebellious, who was unrepentant, who was not walking with God. And as a result, the nation suffered. He is asking God to restore favor to that kingdom. He knows he needs God, and he can't lead without God. You see, God is pleased when a leader walks with God and offers sacrifices with the right attitude and confesses their sin. This is why leaders are held to a different standard and judged differently. Their sin or their rebellion often has consequences much more further than just that small community around them. He may even at this moment be saying that the people would follow his example. He's asking that to God. You know, I'd like to wrap up. But it might take just a little bit of time to do this. You know, as I was going through this message, and I was thinking about this message... An odd thought came to my mind. Now, because it's odd, I actually thought it was Holy Spirit directed. So I went there. But in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about repentance and sin. It's a passage that so many of us have read, and at least once a month we read here at Cross Point Church. It's a passage that we normally focus on when we have communion or the Lord's Supper. Now, when we focus on Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection, and we take the bread and we take the cup, We sometimes forget all that's supposed to happen during that ceremony. Let me me remind you, during communion or during the time when we together take the bread and take the cup, we are, the scriptures tell us, to remember all that Christ did for us, to remember his death, to remember what it cost. For us to receive salvation, we were to remember all that God did for us in order to restore our relationship. We are to thank God for His love for us as we participate. We're to rejoice in the life that God has graciously given everyone who has come to faith in him. But the part we often forget is that we're off uh, we're also supposed to examine ourselves and if need be repent. As I said, I was drawn to these verses and I'd like to read these verses to you because I think it fits into our message today especially as we close. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 29. Paul writes this, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, now honoring here means literally confessing your known sin. So I could read it like this, For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without confessing known sin, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. The Apostle Paul is saying this. Sin is really serious. And when you come to the table and you partake of the bread and the wine and you reflect and are so grateful for all that God has done, you're also to examine your heart, to ask Him, is there any sin in my life? Am I going to take the bread and the cup with sin, unconfessed sin, in my life. Paul says, don't do it. Confess your sin. Don't take this casually. It's a time, however many times you do this, 12 times a year, 15 times a year, once a day, whenever you receive communion, I'll reflect. God's love was amazing. What he did for us is is so much a display of his love. But I also want you to look at your life. I want you to examine your life. And if there is sin, if there's unconfessed sin, maybe sin that you've been carrying since the last time you had communion. Maybe like David, it's been sin that's been carried over a year. But God says this, deal with the sin confess the sin because if you don't i am going to judge you this is the reason some are weak or some are even sick or some have even died Whoa! started thinking through that and some of us have been really casual towards sin Some of us just think, hey, it was just a short fling. Or, hey, it was just so innocent. Hey, I didn't hurt anybody with it. But God says, it's a big deal. Number one, sin is against me. And there are consequences for you and for all those around you. So deal with sin. And the promise is, If we would examine ourselves, if we confess our sins, we would not be judged by God in that way. We would receive grace. God says, deal with your sin. Confess your sin. Don't look at that stain anymore. Let me remove the stain. You don't have to live with the the constant harassment day after day after day because you're running from God. Confess it. Be free. Return back to the joy of your salvation. Enjoy the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Now let me remind you, you don't have to wait for communion to do that. But this is one of the purposes when we meet together and celebrate the Lord's death and resurrection. It's to examine ourselves. Sin is serious. Now, some of you sharper ones, I just want to remind you, um, notice I left out verse 13 in Psalm 51. So I'd like to read Psalm 51, 13 for you now. David writes this, Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they, will return to you. God, David says, I know what it's like to be separated and then to be forgiven. I I understand the pain of being apart and yet being one of your kids. I understand your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness. So, so, Lord, I want to be your messenger. I, I want to be the herald. I want to be able to teach others what I have learned. Oh, what an amazing verse. King David understood the pain of rebellion, understood the beauty of forgiveness, and said, hey, I want, I want to proclaim this. God, you are amazing. God, I'm so grateful you're my father. You're my shepherd. I want to tell others about this so that they don't spend any more time running from you. They need to run to you. (laughs) You know what? We've all been there. And maybe as a result, we can all be heralds. Now as I close, I'd like to read 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14 once again. God says, at times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. What is God saying to you today? Is he whispering to you? Is he encouraging you to confess a sin that you've been hiding, that you've been holding, that basically you've refused? I'm wondering. I'm wondering if God... Is talking to his church first. I'm wondering what God is asking you to do today. This has been a week of searching for me. It's been a month of wondering for me. God, search my heart. God, help me see anything that have offended you or offended others. Would you restore to me the joy of walking with you and enjoying your presence? Let's pray. Father, David learned the hard way. He got lazy. He left you out of his life. And as soon as that happened, things spiraled downward quickly. Lord, you love us. You desire deeply that we walk with you and experience the joy of your presence. Yet, Lord, we often listen to the lies of the enemy. Our selfishness can take over quickly and we begin to justify our actions, even if they are offensive to you. Oh Lord, would you, would you give us courage to own our sin, to repent quickly? Perhaps it's 10, 15, 20 times a day, any time that we disobey you. Lord, if there's someone we need to go to and to ask for forgiveness, we pray that we would do that. That we would honor you with our lives and with our words. Lord, we thank you most of all that you are a God of compassion and mercy. And that you are slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. We are grateful for your mercy and grace. We are grateful that you sent Jesus so that we could be forgiven and restored to a relationship with you. We love you and pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.